Um, so the, the way that we, we tend to preach about 99% of the time here at Redeemer um, is working our way through a book of Scripture. And so we've spent the last roughly three months working through the Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes and wrapped that up last week. And so this morning we're going to begin um, a new book and we'll be in the Gospel of Luke. So what we try to do is, is kind of bounce back and forth between an Old Testament and a New Testament book. Um, we try to shift genres um, and look at the different um, types of, of literature that we have in Scripture, right? Like we want to give the whole counsel of God's Word. So even though there's, there's prose and there's narrative, um, there's, there's prophecy, there's, there's um, poetry, there's history, there's letters, and all these different ways, we want to make sure that we're studying and able to, to read and handle all the different types of Scripture that there are. And so in the way that we preach, we're trying to do that as well. It's also helpful because here's the thing. Um, we, when you have a sin, a particular sin that you're struggling with, right? Sometimes when you leave the house, you feel like it's like broadcast across your forehead, right? Like that everyone can read your thoughts and, and read what's going on in you. When, when we preach this way, um, and it's just the next passage up, the next section of Scripture up, it doesn't feel as much like you've been outed by someone or someone's ratted your sin out or that somehow someone um, you know, dropped me a note so that we can make sure and make sure you were convicted this morning, right? Like it's, it, we can give more credence to the fact that the Holy Spirit is working and moving in that regard. Um, and so this morning, um, as, as we begin the Gospel of Luke, um, well, we're like ten and a half years in at Redeemer. And there's just this like weight or, or gravity or sense that I have um, in, in the elders as we've talked that every um, three or four years we feel like it's really important for us to kind of go back to a gospel and just be reminded that even though we're preaching about Jesus from every area of every corner of Scripture, that it's really good to just take a moment and look at the life of Jesus again. And so in 2017, we were in... Mark, and in uh, 2012, 2013, we were in John, and so it's about time for us to enter back into a gospel. Um, if you've been with us for the first sermon of a new book, you'll know the first one is a little bit of kind of uh, a little different as, as we have the initial, we, we lay a foundation, um, and so we will look at a portion of Luke this morning, but we'll really try to lay some groundwork as to why we're studying this and make sure that we have the context secure. Um, if you're looking at, at your, your scripture, it probably says the gospel according to Luke on top. Um, but there's actually not a claim in the text that Luke is the one who wrote it. Um, it's been attributed to him from the beginning. And for the first um, 1,800 plus years of church history, um, there's not really ever been any pushback on that. There's been um, a little in the last 120 years or so um, as some new forms of like biblical criticism came up. Some folks were like, hey, let's, let's see if we can throw out who, who wrote every book of the Bible, um, basically. They, they tried to figure out a way to, to discredit all of it. Um, what we'll see in verse 2, and we'll read this here in a moment, is that the author of this was a second-generation Christian, someone who it's been passed down to. Um, we know it's a companion of Paul. Um, if we turn to Colossians 4, we were in Colossians last year, you may remember this ending, where Paul is listing 
some of the folks who have been traveling with him. And in verse 14, he mentions Luke. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Right? And we know that Demas is one that ended up walking away from the faith. Um, but that Luke is, was a traveling companion, um, that he was a doctor. Um, so Luke is connected to Acts. We'll, we'll talk about that more here in a minute as well. And that whoever wrote Luke and Acts um, was a companion. And so, and listen, to this is Acts 16. Here we go. In verse, um, verse 11, right? So the one who's writing says, So setting sail from Troas, we, may, we made a direct voyage, right? You go down to verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl, right? Like they're, they're bringing themselves in. They're not just saying, hey, here's what happened to Paul. I was with Paul when it happened. You can go over to verse seven, or chapter 17, verse 1, and see this. Now when they had passed through... Right, So Acts is a mixture of we passages and they passages, where they're saying, here's what happened to Peter, here's what happened to Paul, and then there's moments where it's, and here's what happened to us. So Acts 16, Acts 20, Acts 21, Acts 27, and 28 are all chapters that are we passages. And so we know that this, the writer of Luke and Acts was a companion of Paul, um, and it has been attributed to Luke from the beginning of church history um, which means that um, it's, Luke wasn't an apostle, right? So Matthew and John are both inner circle disciples, right? They were apostles, inner circle, who wrote two of the Gospels. The, the Gospel of Mark is actually, Mark is, is writing on behalf of Peter, and so it's another disciple, apostle's um, perspective. And so Luke is our only one that is coming from someone who was not an apostle, um, He's most likely a non-Jew, uh, which, is, which is a pretty big deal, that he is a, a Gentile who has some familiarity with Christianity. Uh, or sorry, not with Christianity, with Judaism. He had some familiarity, some contact with Judaism. Um, and then outside of Scripture, a couple things that we, we can learn about him from history that aren't from Scripture per se, um, is that he was most likely from Antioch, and that he lived a long life. Some reports would say he lived even to, into his early 80s. Um, and so we have a little, we have some insight into who Luke is. Um, when was it written? Most likely, it was written in the early to mid '60s, right? So we're talking the first generation um, after Christ and, and his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Um, we know that Luke utilized the Gospel of Mark, which was finalized in the early '60s, probably by '62, and so it had to be post that. Um, and then there was a war that happened beginning in 66 through 70. And in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. And Luke references this. If we turn to Luke 21, as he's, he's talking about Jerusalem. And he says in verse 20, But when, you, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out of the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. So in a couple different chapters, he writes about right, the, the, the desolation of Jerusalem, the desolation of the temple, it's coming, not that it has happened. And so most likely, 
somewhere between 62 and 66 in that window of time, once Mark has been written and before the fall, the, the war in Jerusalem, um, Luke was written. There's no, also no mention of the death of Paul or James, two key church figures that happened in the late um, 60s as well. And so we're probably in a, in a really tight window in the mid-60s. Uh, where was it written? We have no idea. Right? There's no claim of where it was written. There's plenty of options out there. We have no idea, no claim on that. And so then what is it? Let's, let's read the first two verses here. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so what we, what we see here is that, that Luke is, is, has been studying, right? He's been um, going back and talking to eyewitnesses. He's been looking at the different accounts. And he is putting together a careful, thought-out, thorough account of what happened, basically starting with John the Baptist through the early church. I mean, and he's doing it intentionally. I mean, so Luke is the longest gospel we have. Um, it's the only one with a sequel. It's connected to Acts. They, they're one book, um, Luke Acts. Um, and it's, it's being written kind of in two volumes. Um, it's, it's being written to, to really tell the story all the way through of God's plan for salvation. And so in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see that Luke heard, right? He studied and he's heard acts are things that he's seen, right? That he's more actively involved in. Um, he has a, a patron, someone who's paying for the project, who's kind of commissioned the project. Um, that's why Theophilus is mentioned here, a, a Gentile and a non-Jew, a new believer, most likely is having some doubts. And so Luke is he's asked and commissioned Luke, will you write out right like what has happened? Like, I want to have it, because I know if I'm struggling, if I'm having doubts, and others are going to have these fears and these doubts as well. Um, as he addresses him as the most excellent Theophilus, means that he was a man of status and of rank. We can see in Acts, in chapter 24 and 26, whenever um, a Roman official like Festus or Felix are mentioned, they're always addressed as the most excellent Festus or the most excellent Felix, that it was a title of import. Um, and that, it, that Luke is telling us, listen, I've undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Right? Just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses. But he says it's not just those who were eyewitnesses. They were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them. And so in, in, later on in chapter 1, we'll see, he'll talk about Elizabeth, right? And, and the way that she felt and some of the things that she said in her private room. Right? He's going to talk about how Mary felt and things that she said that were done in private because it's being passed on from eyewitnesses. If we go to Acts chapter 1 for just a moment, we'll see this. Beginning in verse 20. Sorry, verse 21. So uh, one of the men who have accompanied us during the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men 
must become with us as a witness to his resurrection. So this is when Judas is, is no longer a disciple. They're needing to replace him and bring someone else in. What Peter says is we have to take it from one of these that has been with us from the beginning, the disciples who have been following, the larger group and crowd that have been following Jesus for the last three plus years. He said they are the witnesses, right? And that we need to pick from them. And then if you go to um, Acts 26, verse 16, um, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you. This is Jesus talking to Paul. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Right? And so the idea is, is there were those who witnessed and saw Jesus, right? who, are, who are now going to account and recount those things so that as generations come, they have a clear record of what has happened. But we know that there were those who encountered Jesus who were not impressed by him or who did not believe, right? We have Pilate. We have many members of the Sanhedrin, right? We have some of the crowd who were like, hey, Jesus, you're, you're kind of, you're freaking me out, and so we're going to go. And so he, he notices and says this, listen, these are folks who are from the beginning were eyewitnesses and they were ministers of the word, right? They believed. They saw this and they believed, and these are the people I've gone back to and I've talked with and I've heard and I've read, and so I'm trying to bring an orderly account together for your benefit. He's not wanting to just historically say, here's what happened. He's hoping to, to tie a thread together to say, here's what happened, here's why it happened, and here's what it means. Maybe the, the thing that would help us understand this, even this morning, is many of you probably... Um, don't have a thorough history of, of Russian-Ukrainian relationships, right? You would be confused a little bit. And so if you go to any news site this week, what you'll see is there's somewhere on there, there's a, an article that says, basically, why is this happening? Like, it's not telling you what is happening. It's saying, trying to explain to you why has Russia invaded Ukraine. And it's going back, and it's looking at religion, and it's looking at history, and it's looking at nationalities, and it's, right? and it's trying to explain why this is taking place. Here's the overarching timeline, and here's the meaning behind it that will explain to us why this ha is happening this week. Right? And so what Luke is trying to do is he's saying, here's who Jesus is. And here's the claims that have been made that He is the Savior, the Chosen One, our Rescuer, that His life and His death and His resurrection mean everything. So... All right, that's been the claim. Let me go back now and show you how John the Baptist was the bridge from the Old Testament to the New and how Jesus is the Chosen One of God. Now let's look at His life. So that as we look at His death, so that as we look at His resurrection, and then His ascension, and now look the message, He's gone, and the message is still moving forth through the church. Like He's trying to write an orderly account right, of some decades of ministry so that we can have an assurance of what God has done and the plan that He has laid forth. And so Luke is an attempt to historically tell an accurate story, to theologically um, give us meaning and significance behind it, but he's ultimately he's pastoring Theophilus and us towards beholding Jesus and seeing the significance of His life and His death and His resurrection. So, that's what it is. Why? Why are we going 
to spend the next month looking at the Gospel of Luke. Look at what he tells Theophilus. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. He knew that he wasn't just writing this for Theophilus, he was writing it for a larger audience. And he's saying, listen, as, you have, as you're a new believer, as you're struggling with the, host, the hostility of a Gentile being rejected by the Jews, right? as you're wondering, is this all for real? Why is this so difficult? He's looking to comfort him in his fears and his doubts. You can imagine a man who was not of Jewish upbringing asking the question, hey, Jesus was a Jew that seemed to be for the Jews. Do I belong? You don't seem happy that I'm here. There's a struggle. There's tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. Like, do I belong? Is there a place for me in this? We know that this same tension is what got Jesus killed. Right? Like, and, and now that there's, there's tension and rejection, like, is this legitimately God's plan? And so Luke is going to do this. He's going to define what the mission is. He's going to talk about what the mission, like what has God done to rescue, and then what has He called us to do. He's going to, he's going to spell out what was God's plan in His rejection and hostility and difficulty a part of it. Was it supposed to be a part of it or not? And He's going to take us back to Old Testament and look to see, was this foretold? He's going to explain this new community, the church. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, right? And the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not just for the church, right? But even prior to the church's emergence in Acts. He's going to ask the question Is Jesus the chosen one? Could we have potentially missed it? He is going to highlight that the message, the good news, is for everyone. Luke is going to hold out for all the outsiders, and he's going to talk about children and women and non-Jews, and all those who are, have felt like they were on the boundaries or the outskirts of this. He's going to say, this is for you as well. He's going to talk, a much, he's going to talk often of the hope of Jesus' return and how much faith we put in that. He's going to highlight God's absolute faithful, faithfulness and the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament as seen in the life of Jesus ultimately teaching us that Christianity is not a new religion. Right? He's going to say this is actually connected to, um, right, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. It is, it's connected and it is a fulfillment of that. And even as the Jews are rejecting, in large part rejecting this, like they, we're connected to them. And we're not choosing to separate ourselves. They're pushing us out. He's going to be honest enough about it that he has been accused of anti-Semitism, which is not the case at all. He's going to highlight prayer and power, right? That Jesus is the Redeemer and the Restorer, and when He speaks and when He works and when He moves, that things are transformed, and that it's not just to get you to heaven, but there's transformative power here in this life, that we are to walk in the kingdom of God here and now. Then what, what are we called to? And then one of, one of the things is, is he talks about rejoicing more than any of the other Gospels. Of like celebrating and rejoicing in the good news and in the work and in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He's going to tell us over and over again, lift your chins. 
There's much to be celebrated. There's much to rejoice in. And so he's going to be honest about the difficulty and the tension and the hostility, and he's also going to call us to rejoice, to highlight God's faithfulness and His fulfillment. So, he's looking to minister to doubts. But he's also looking to give certainty. Look again at verse 4. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. He's talking to a people who, not only are they being rejected, but now right, they're looking at Rome and saying, should we fear Rome? Like, Rome doesn't seem to want us either. So if, if the Jews are rejecting us, and Rome is looking to squash us, like, what do we do? So Luke is going to say to, to Theophilus, to the, to the audience, and to us, there is solid ground to stand on. There is. You don't have to be tossed to and fro. You don't have to feel like there's nowhere to stand. There is solid ground. And the way that that's going to happen is that we're moving from mere knowledge and just understanding and, and recognition of, of facts about Jesus to like roots of truth, of certainty, right? That ground us. That take the disciples from being men for three plus years who didn't get it, right? Who were confused and constantly kind of bumbling and messing up to men who are willing to die for Jesus, right? For men who were were killed, right? Who received that tension and that hostility, and they would go to their graves saying, Jesus was, was resurrected. He is everything He said He was. He's everything that He's promised, and He is everything that we need. Like, that is not someone going, man, I think Jesus is the Son of God, right? Like, I know that. I have that thought to a certainty, a grounding, a rooting that will say, kill me if you must. What are you going to do to my body? Because I know the King of the universe. That is a different level of certainty where we're not just reciting facts, but we are rooted and grounded in this. In Ephesians 3, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Right? Like, Why is he writing this? He says because the church has been known, believers have been known to be tossed to and fro, Right by every wind of doctrine and every cunning bit of deceit. Then you're like, oh, that sounds good. I think I believe that. Oh, well, well, that sounds good too. Let me come over here. Well, now I'm not sure what I believe, right? And, and so he says, I don't want you to be tossed to and fro. I want you to be grown and rooted and grounded. It's the picture of Psalm 1, right? Of a faithful man or woman planted beside the stream of God's mercy, His grace, His Word. And so when storms come, they're secure. When circumstances change, they're secure. Luke is writing to Theophilus, to the larger church, and to us saying, you can be sure. You can be rooted. You can be grounded. You can have certainty. You don't have to be tossed to and fro from all that is going on. Listen, how many times have you heard someone say, right, you've shared a Scripture with them, or a promise of God with them, or the character of God with them, and they're like, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that, I know that. 
but it doesn't seem to matter in the moment. Right? They're almost offended that you're throwing Scripture or promises at them. And I'm assuming that you're doing it with a genuine spirit, right? Like that you're saying, hey, this, no, no, this roots you, this grounds you, and they're like, yeah, I know that, I need something more. Right? What, what, what we're confessing in those moments, and we, we've all been there, right? We've all said those things, is listen, I know the truth, but the truth hasn't rooted me. It hasn't grounded me. It hasn't given me certainty. It's mere knowledge. And Luke is saying, I want to take it from mere knowledge to solid ground. Right? It, it, it's wisdom so that we can then maneuver through life with sure footing. Right? It, it's running through a place that you know well and you know where to put your feet. Right? Versus walking somewhere through the, in the dark where you're like, I don't know what's there. And you're like, kind of sticking your foot out. Right? Got your hands. Like, I know there's a door there somewhere. And you're really hoping you don't kick it. Right? Versus quickly maneuvering because you're on sure ground in familiar setting on a, on a certain path. He's, he's looking to, to, to give us that sort of certainty. Listen, the question that we can ask this morning is this, even as we begin, Luke, is do people see your certainty? Do they see the hope in which you live in the midst of hard circumstances and a lack of certainty that is floating all around us in the world? Do people see it and ask you, how are you okay? How are you okay? Like it feels like everything's going nuts and you seem okay. Right? They're asking you one of two things. Like, are you oblivious to everything? Like, are you aware of the news? Or, and where they're really hopeful is that you actually have an answer. That you have some level of hope and of peace and of certainty. And Luke is telling Theophilus and he's telling us, there is. Like, there is. You can have that. And you're going to find it in the life, the death, and the work, and the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, we, we are recipients of some 2,000 years of folks trusting this message and then passing it on. Not assuming it. Not presuming it. Not figuring out, well, you'll get it. Like they've taken it and they've imparted it to us through the church, through the Holy Spirit, through God's Word. And we have been recipients of it. And now until Jesus returns, what Luke and Acts together are going to tell us is, as you receive it, you then turn and you pass it on to the next generation. That they could have that same sort of rootedness, and that same sort of certainty in the world until Jesus splits the sky and returns for us. That we can have that. So He's... He's, we're, why are we doing Luke? He's going to attack doubts to give us certainty. And the, the, the third thing this morning is this. Is he's going to call us to behold Jesus. He's going to call us to look at Jesus. And you're thinking, okay, Jeremy, like we're, at, we're already here. Like we're here to behold Him. We're here to look at Him. Listen, um, a couple weeks ago, Carmen and I were having a conversation. And in the, in the midst of the conversation, like right now, with, with three kids, 12, 6, and, and just now three, um, working, homeschool, like all the things, we're, we're together a lot, um, but we're usually like, we're busy, like we're doing something. And I made the comment to her, and we've both said this to one another um, in different times, hey, I, I'm with you, but I miss you. Right? Like, man, we're, we're running side by side, 
but we're not necessarily connecting. Like we're doing all the things, and we're doing it together, and I'm glad you're with me, but I want to make sure I'm, I see you. And I want to make sure you see me. I want to make sure we're okay. What Luke is doing in, in, in church, the reminder for us this morning, is right, we can, do, we can do ministry, and we can do the church thing, and it doesn't mean that we're beholding Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're looking and saying, what I need is Him. What, what roots me to, to certainty, what secures my soul, isn't the trappings of the church. It's not the trappings of ministry. It's not mere knowledge. It is Jesus, the risen Lord and Savior, who has purchased what we could not purchase for ourselves, who has rescued us and called us His own and has brought us into the family to be adopted sons and daughters with a seat at the table fully belonging. So behold Him. And so would we not this morning convince ourselves, I got it, I know it. But just like any healthy relationship continues to turn and to look at one another and say, hey, we need, like, like we're in this together. Like, let's make sure we're, we're in this together. We're not just side by side. This morning, Luke is saying, would you come and would you behold? There's more to know. There's more to see. There's more to trust because Jesus is far more and far better and more beautiful and deeper and richer and significant and transformative than you believe He is today. And so regardless of how high that bar is for you, there's more to it. There's more to, to seek and to savor and to soak. I just want to read a couple verses. This is Luke chapter 4. As Jesus is coming on to, into the public ministry, this is verse 18 of chapter 4. Let's start in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. Right? He... Talk about a mic drop, right? He reads this prophetic passage and says, I'm here. Hope is here. Joy is here. Peace is here. Restoration is here. Freedom is here. Healing is here. He's here. And Luke is saying, I want to lay out a, an argument so that you see Him. I want you to see Him. To know Him. Trust Him. Because the call will then be to repent to follow Him, not just to know about Him. Listen, we live in West Texas. Lots of people know about Him, but it doesn't mean we're following Him. The call is to follow. And He's going to lay out what that looks like. So, that's the invitation, right? Into where we're headed is that we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, beholding Jesus, having certainty come, and having doubts washed away as we move forward, seeing God's faithfulness and His fulfillment in the life of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would we this morning God, would you would you strip away arrogance? Would you strip away pride? Would you strip away 
Um, even just a religious spirit that would say, I've got it, I know it, Luke is familiar. God, would we not be so cavalier as to think that there's nothing new for us to mine, there's nothing new for us to learn, there's no, no more depth to the, our relationship with you. God, would we not um, look at Luke seeking to just have some more knowledge, um, God, but that we would want to encounter a living king. God, would we be reminded that, that the ministry is continuing to move forward because you're alive, because you've given us your spirit, because you left us your word. Father, that you, that you are guiding us and directing us. And so, Lord, we're asking that through Luke, that doubts would be met. God, that certainty would be given. And Lord, for many, that salvation would come. That we would repent and trust and follow you and live with certainty in uncertain times. Not because um, of where we live, but because of who we belong to. God, would, would we be reminded that ministry um, isn't everything that you are? That so much of this will fade away and you won't. That your word of God will remain forever. So Lord, give us um, an appetite for this. Would you lift our chins to behold you? And would you meet us in that? In Jesus' name, amen.